Welcome to The Accelerators. Here for you are a series of tried and tested and proven real world ideas to help you create and enjoy a business and a life of choice. The Accelerators, because success loves speed. And now we come to the interview of the month. And this month, I'm delighted to bring you a very special interview as my guest is Brian Tracy. If you're into personal development, I'm certain you know of Brian's audio programs, books and seminars. But despite that, let me give you some brief details about Brian and his various achievements. Brian is without doubt one of America's leading authorities on the development of human potential and personal effectiveness. He's a dynamic and entertaining speaker. He originally comes from Canada and spent many years travelling across the world... 80 countries, five continents. He worked with Albert Schweitzer. He crossed the Sahara Desert and obtained his black belt in Shotokan Karate, all of which, of course, laid the foundation for the success he enjoys today. Brian is an avid believer in controlling one's own destiny, daily goal-planning, hard work and perseverance. And, of course, he's taken his experience from being in business himself as he was the chief operating officer for a development company with $265 million in assets and $75 million in sales. Brian is the author of countless audio learning programs and 16 books, including Maximum Achievement, Advanced Selling Strategies, The 100 Absolutely Unbreakable Laws of Business Success, and The 21 Success Secrets of Self-Made Millionaires. In fact, he's produced more than 300 different audio and video learning programs covering the entire spectrum of human and corporate development. So that tells you why I'm so pleased to finally get hold of Brian for this interview. So let's go to the interview now. Well, hello, Brian, and a very warm welcome to the Achiever's Edge. How's life with you? Life is wonderful. Thank you very much. Delighted. Brian, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with me today and to give me some great insights and methods of success. Thanks so much. Let's get started. Throughout your life, you've been involved in so many different activities and businesses, including achieving your goal of crossing the Sahara Desert. What are the top three skills, Brian, that you've learned, and how could anybody use those skills? Well, you know, I've written 32 books. I've produced more than 300 audio and video learning programs on business and personal success. I've spoken to 2,000 audiences in 26 countries, and it still comes down to the same three things, is know exactly what it is you want, make a plan to achieve it, and start working on the plan, and resolve in advance that you will never give up until you achieve success. And you take those three things, clarity, detailed planning, and persistence, and those are basically the three keys to success throughout all of human history. And everything else really supports that. I like it, Brian. Nice and simple and to the point, as always. If we think commercially for a moment, what in your experience has been the strategies that people have used in business to make them financially successful in that business area? Well, I've written a book called Turbo Strategy, which I take about 25 years of research and work as a strategic planner and turnaround specialist for corporations and put it into 21 key ideas. I just talk about some of the important ideas. The first is to decide exactly what you specialize in. What is your product? The great question is, what is my product? And you always define your product in terms of the benefit or the change that it makes in the life or work of your prospect. So, for example, let's say we're in training. We say, well, what is the product? Well, we're in training. No, we're not. What we're doing is we're in the business of helping people increase their sales. We're in the business of helping people manage their time more effectively so they get more done in a shorter period of time. Or we're in the business of helping companies cut their costs. In other words, you always talk in terms of what comes out at the very end of the process. What does your prospect or your customer get? And one of the things that I focus on over and over again is the difference between is and does. 
And most people in business are preoccupied with what their product or service is, but the customer only cares about what the product or service does. So that's the starting point. What is it that my product or service does? What business am I really in? And the answer is what my product or service does for my customer. Now, the second point, which is actually the first, is you have to specialize in a particular area of achieving a specific result for your customer. You cannot be all things to all people. It has to be focused. Now, the second and the most important part of business success is differentiation. Differentiation means that your product or service is superior in some way to that of all other competitive offerings. And it is superior in a way that your customer cares about enough that your customer and prospective customer will buy the product rather than buy that of your competitors. So therefore, all business success is based on competitive advantage. It's all based on discovering or developing your area of excellence. And one of the things we do with companies, we say, what is your competitive advantage today? Why is it that people buy your product or service rather than someone else's? What is it that you do well? What is it that you do in a superior way? And sometimes companies are not sure what it is. Sometimes, by the way, it is the quality of the personalities of the people. The products and services may be commoditized. They may be available in other places. But the way that the company sells them and treats their customer is very different. You see this with restaurants. You see this with computer service companies. You see this with telecommunications. You see this in a lot of different areas. So you have to say, what is my competitive advantage today? And then you have to project forward and say, what will it be in the future if nothing changes? What should it be? What could it be? And what I do is I help companies to project forward three to five years. And I say, imagine that your company, and if we're talking to individuals, imagine your life was perfect three to five years from now. If you could wave a magic wand and make your life perfect, what would it look like? And then with that, we begin to say, well, we would be earning this kind of money. We'd have this level of sales, this level of profitability. Especially, we'd have this kind of reputation in the marketplace. And we help them determine exactly what their perfect future would look like. And then we come back to the present. And we say, now, what will we have to do today in order to achieve that result in the future? And then we begin. That becomes your goal. Now you begin a plan. The specific things we'll have to do to get from here to there. And then what's the first thing we do? And then we begin on that. Ryan, you make it sound so simple. And I know that when it gets into practice, it really is that simple. And it's asking those right questions, isn't it, to make sure that people are really focused on understanding what are those differentials so they can differentiate themselves in the marketplace. Yes, I've written a book called Focal Point, which has become a bestseller as well. And in Focal Point, I take, again, many years of research and summarize it into a simple concept is that there is a specific number or measure or metric that you can use to determine your level of success in any area. There's also a specific metric that you can use to achieve a goal. For example, with regard to individuals who are my primary audience participants, I say that your primary focal point, your critical metric, is your hourly rate. And then I explain to them that the amount that you make per hour has to be your area of focus because the amount that you make per hour determines how much you make in a week, a month, a year, a lifetime. And most people think in terms of how much they make in a month, how much they make annually, what's my annual salary. But all the highest paid people think in terms of hourly rate. And they think in terms of earning their desired hourly rate every hour. Not, you know, wasting the morning and wasting the afternoon and taking time off and going for lunch and coffee breaks and so on. They think in terms of, imagine that someone was following me around and paying me at the end of each hour. At the end of each hour, they added up and calculated the worth of what I did in that last 60 minutes 
and they paid me right there, like a cash register jinging. Well, when you start thinking like that, you realize, oh my Lord, look at how much time that you waste reading the paper, talking to friends, phoning, checking your email, and so on. Nobody's going to pay you this. So I take an income of, say, $50,000 a year. Many are above, many are below. The average American works 2,000 hours a year, roughly. So 2,000 into $50,000 is $25 per hour. I say, therefore, if you want to earn $50,000 a year, you have to earn $25 an hour, eight hours a day, 250 days a year. It's as simple as that. Now, if you want to make $100,000, that means you have to make $50 an hour. So then you ask, what are the things that I do that pay $25 or $50 an hour? And whatever they are, do only those things. Now, here's another interesting thing. If you take all the things that you do in the course of a day, a week, a month, you'll find that there are only three activities that pay you your desired hourly rate. Only three activities. I've had people come through my course and write down 15 or 20 things they do. So I ask them this question. If you could only do one thing all day long, which one activity would pay you the most? And that's usually pretty clear. If we're talking to salespeople, a lot of people listening to this are in sales. If you could only do one thing all day long, what would pay you the most is probably prospecting. It's finding better and better people to talk to. Because if you have enough qualified people to talk to, the sales will take care of themselves. So then I say, what would be number two? Well, number two would be presenting. Is If you make really good, logical, powerful presentations, the sales will just fall out of the tree like a ripe apple into a basket. And the third is closing, is getting people to take action. It's not having them be impressed with your product or service, but having them actually take action and pay you for your product or service. So I say with my sales audiences, there's three things that pay you your desired hourly rate. They are prospecting, presenting, and following up and closing. As long as you're doing those three things, you're working at the top of your game. If you're not doing those three things, then you're basically wasting time. I said salespeople get up every morning and they're unemployed until they get face-to-face with someone where they can prospect, present, and follow up. This transforms people's lives. People walk out with their heads spinning. They write back to me a week or a month later and their incomes have doubled. They say they just are adamant. They just don't do things that don't pay the kind of money they want to earn. They will not sit around and chat anymore. They don't read the paper during the day. They don't check their email. During working hours, what we call prime time, they only do the things that pay them the kind of money they want. Now, here's the most wonderful thing, Peter, is if you focus on doing those three things, you get better at those three things. You get better and better by focusing on them, which means you get better and better results in less time, and your hourly rate goes up. Your income increases just by focusing like a laser beam on the things that you do that contribute the very most to your life and work. Again, Brian, you just make it sound so simple. I love the idea. Focus on those three things. What was the name of the book again? My book is called Focal Point. Focal Point. And what it does, it takes your whole life. It takes your income, your health, your relationships, your financial life, which is very different from your work life. It also talks about personal and professional development. What's the one subject or one skill that if you learned it and developed at an excellent level would help you the most in your life? And if you ask that question, you find that there's always one skill that right now, if you were really good at it, would help me more than anything else. That becomes your focal point. And you write it down as a goal. And you make a plan to achieve it. And you work on that plan every single day. And you keep persisting until you achieve mastery in that skill. Sometimes I say this. I say these two things, Peter. I say, number one, is that all business skills are learnable. All business skills are learnable. If you can ride a bicycle or drive a car, you can learn any business skill, up to and including rocket science. I had a salesman in my course recently who came up and said, you know, I got a degree in rocket science. He said, I I kept hearing about people saying, you know, this is not rocket science. And I thought, you know, I'd always been interested in rockets ever since I was a kid. 
So I thought, what would it take to get a degree in rocket science? He's in his mid-20s, been selling for several years. So he called the university and began inquiring around and found that if he took some uh, catch-up courses and qualified, he could start taking courses, auditing them, then weekend, evening courses, summer courses at the university. Five years later, he graduated with a degree in rocket science. He said, it's not that hard. <laughs> and he kept up selling, and he went back to selling. Fantastic. So whenever anybody says, you know, it's not rocket science, he says, I know, I've got a degree in rocket science. <laughs> I love it. I love anybody it. listening to this program, Peter, can get a degree in rocket science. If you can drive a car, which requires the coordination of 26 senses, if you can drive a car, you can get a degree in rocket science. Now, the, my point is this. Is it would be an absolute tragedy for a person who is capable of making 100,000 pounds a year to only be making 25 or 50 because they lack one single skill. Because there's one skill. They're just not very good at prospecting or they're not good at presenting or they're not good at closing. These are all business skills and they're all learnable from you and from other people. So that's my first point. All business skills are learnable. You can learn any skill you need to master your craft to double your income. Second point is this is you could be only one skill away from doubling your income right now, and you probably are. And you probably are. As you listen to me, you know exactly what the skill is. You say, damn, if I was twice as good in this one area, which will be one of those three areas, I could double my income. Yes, you could. So get on with it. Set it as a goal. Make a plan. Work on it every day. And surprise, surprise, the more you work on it, the better you get. The more you work on it, the better you get, the higher is your self-esteem. The higher is your self-esteem, the more energy and self-confidence you have more self-confidence you have, the more influential and powerful you are in a sales conversation. You get onto an upward spiral in life as you commit yourself to excelling in your field. I know immediately, Brian, from what you've said, the skill that came to mind for me. You're absolutely right. When you ask somebody that question, they immediately know. And when we finish this interview, I'm going to go and get a piece of paper and write down what are the three key things that I need to do that make money. So I like it. Over your life, Brian, there must have been a time when you had what I would call, you may not use the term, a failure of some description. What was it? What did you learn from it? And how could anyone else learn from your experience to save them having to do it themselves? Well, people ask me that question all the time. And I will say that I have had countless failures. Sometimes when I speak to an audience, uh, the same sort of audiences that you speak to, Peter, I will say, I'm very happy to be here. The organizers told me that I would be speaking all day to a, a room full of professional failures. So I'm very happy to be with you today. And everybody sort of laughs and they're not sure where this is going. I say, I'm not talking about amateur failures, people who failed once or twice. I'm talking about people who have failed over and over and over again. I said, you people, and I talked to the people, I said, you've failed hundreds of times, thousands of times. You've fallen on your face so many times, you've lost count, haven't you? And everybody agrees. I said, now let me ask you a question. Is anybody bleeding? you have a heart attack? Have you been permanently maimed by your failures? Everybody shakes their head. I said, of course not. Failure doesn't hurt you. It's only thinking about failure that hurts you. And the fact is that all success is built on a foundation of failure. So if you look at my life, my life has been failure after failure after failure. Because I learned at a very early age that if you're going to fail, fail fast and fail forward. If you're going to fail, get on with it. The more things you try, the more times you'll fail, but also the more times you'll succeed. So I have had failures and setbacks. I have been wiped out financially. I have been jailed in third world countries. I've had all my hopes dashed. I've had to start over several different times. But I have never looked upon them as failures. I've never said, oh, I failed in that. And it was only later in life, after I read some of the psychological studies, I found that successful people don't use the word failure. They use the word learning experience, good feedback, growth experience, or valuable lesson, especially valuable lesson. 
but they never see their setbacks and difficulties as failures. You say, when did you fail? I said, I don't know. I had a lot of things that didn't work out, but I don't think about them as failures. It just bumps on the road that you can stand on and get a better view, aren't they? That's right. You know, one of my favorite observations is there's no such thing as failure. There's only feedback. And the feedback just tells you that you're on the right or wrong road. If you get feedback, you'll find that your very greatest successes came as a result of having failed earlier and gotten onto a different road. And in retrospect, you look back and say, thank heavens that didn't work out. (laughs) Because if I'd stayed on that road, I mean, look where I would have been today. That is so true. That is so true. Brian, the first program of yours I ever listened to, and it was a few years ago, was The Psychology of Achievement. Now, I know that sold more than a million copies in 20 languages because I've looked it up. From your research, which you must have done loads of research to write that particular program, what do you see as the attributes, other than the things we've talked about already, which make people more successful regardless of their personal definition of success? Well, good question. Everything reinforces everything else. One of the great success mottos for everybody is that everything counts. Everything counts. You'll find in life the most successful people in every field are people who say everything counts. The failures in life are people who say, oh, it doesn't count. And they let themselves off the hook and they make excuses. So I find that everything reinforces itself. And the two qualities that lead to high success and happiness and good family relationships and good health and long life and high income and everything are the twin qualities. I call them the pillars of the temple of self-esteem and self-responsibility. And if you were thinking back on psychology of achievement, those are the things that would stand out. Everything else is helpful, but self-esteem means that you like yourself and respect yourself. And self-esteem comes not from sitting and thinking how nice it would be, but from doing the things that a person with high self-esteem would do. So when you take good care of yourself, when you get up in the morning and you plan your day and you work your plan and you work on high priorities and you get results, you like yourself and respect yourself more. And the more you like and respect yourself, the better you do at everything in your life. So the two feed each other. Self-esteem and self-efficacy are flip sides of the same coin. As you get better in your work, your self-esteem goes up. As your self-esteem goes up, you actually do your work better. So it's like climbing a ladder with the right and left hands and feet. Now, the other pillar is self-responsibility. And self-responsibility is where you say, I am responsible for my own life. I like myself, and I'm responsible for my own life. And you refuse to make excuses. You refuse to blame other people for your problems, your parents, your boss, the, the economy, the government, and so on. You refuse to criticize other people because criticism is a form of weakness, and especially you refuse to complain. Because whenever you complain about anything, what you are doing is you are positioning yourself as a victim, and you're positioning yourself as a powerless person. So therefore, if you want to be self-responsible, stop blaming, stop criticizing, stop complaining, and stop making excuses. Of course, this will wipe out your conversation for a couple of days, uh, (laughs) because you'll have very little else to talk about, because most people's lives is built around whining or whinging as they say in the UK, about their situation. Successful people get on with it. Successful people, if they're not happy with something, they make a decision and they make changes. Unsuccessful people complain and make excuses. Say, who can we complain to? And they go and complain. So you find that leaders are highly self-responsible. So those are the two things that come out of psychology of achievement. Self-esteem, self-responsibility, are built on a foundation of behaviors that are consistent with high performance, clear goals, treating other people well, 
taking good care of your physical health and so on. Brian, the key thing that I took from it, and as I say, I remember listening to it so often, was this idea of liking yourself and saying to yourself, I like myself. And I used to drive into work in those days saying to myself, I like myself, to the point where when I got out and shook hands with somebody, they almost got an electric shock. I was so <laughs> pumped up. That's great. Brian, you deal with loads of different businesses with your seminars, both in-house and the big seminars that you do. If a business had a limited training budget each year, what are the areas you'd suggest them they spend that budget on? I would say focus on sales. Yep. The two biggest areas for training are management development and sales. Management development is the most popular because decisions for training are made by managers, so they come to the conclusion that we are the best people to train. That's not unimportant. Companies fail because of poor leadership. Yep. Poor leadership means that people make poor decisions, and those decisions do not inure to the benefit of the organization. They hire the wrong people. They delegate insufficiently. They do not have clear plans and goals for their staff. They do not set priorities. They waste time, and they set a bad example. So poor leadership can sink a company more than anything else. But in highly competitive markets, the companies that train their salespeople the most consistently will always run circles around the companies that don't. A company can endure almost anything except low cash flow. Cash flow is the lifeblood to the brain of the company. The entire company has to be focused like a laser beam, almost obsessively with cash flow, whether it's a large company or especially a smaller, mid-sized company. And the only way to generate cash flow is by sales. So I always say this, is whenever you have a financial problem in your business, refocus all of your efforts and energies on driving sales, driving cash flow, getting revenues in the door. A company can take the worst leadership, the worst economy, terrible competition, anything if they have the cash flow. But they can have the best leadership and the finest products and a booming economy. If somehow they can't generate the cash flow, they'll go under very quickly. So cash flow is everything, and that comes from sales, and sales comes from sales training. The expression I often use, Brian, is if you're at the top, you're trying to stay there. If you're aiming for the top, you're trying to get there. Yes. So I think that's it, that constant training, and people seem to dump that. As soon as things go hard, they take away the cash from that training budget, and that's the worst thing they can possibly do. Oh, yes. I remember IBM was famous. You know, by the 80s, IBM had 80% of the world computer market. During the 30s, when there was 28% unemployment and long, long lines, Thomas J. Watson Sr., the founder of IBM, began running ads in the newspapers for salespeople. And journalists came to him and they said, are you aware of how bad the economy is? I mean, there's unemployment and you're advertising for salespeople? He said, well, he said, when you reach my age, he was in his 50s, men develop eccentricities, they chase younger women, they drink, uh, things like that. He said, well, my eccentricities, I like to hire salespeople. And throughout the Depression, they never laid off a person. They kept hiring salespeople. And what we have found in subsequent studies is that the companies that emerge from recessions way ahead of their competitors are the ones that continue to invest in sales training. When I worked with IBM, I did 30 programs with them in the 80s, and the economy had turned down in the early 80s, I said, I guess you guys have had you know, real cuts in your training budgets. And Several of their, what they call uh, management development specialists, looked at me. I said, what? I said, I guess, you, you know, every other company I've spoken to says, you know, with the economy down, they're cutting all their training. They looked at each other like I was speaking in a foreign language. And they said, we never cut our training. We never, no matter what the economy, we project our training budgets ahead, and we never cut training. I mean, they were so adamant about it. I said, whoa, <laughs> wow, I mean, I'm glad to hear that. But they never cut their training, and they went through the recessions and ended up ahead of their competitors 
over and over and over again. The only time IBM got into trouble, by the way, is when the accountants took over. The new president was an accountant, and he thought that accounting was the most important part of IBM, so they began to cut back on their sales training budgets and began to cut back on their sales incentives and began to cut back on sales motivation and began to cut back on sales activities, and the company, within three years, almost collapsed until they came in and they fired him, and they got rid of all of them, and they brought in a sales guy. sales guy came back in and said, let's get those salespeople back on the street. As they boots on the ground, yep. get those salespeople back on the street, get the sales managers out with them, let's get out and see some customers. And they turned the whole company around from a $350 million loss to a $350 million profit in one year. Excellent. So the evidence is in. The evidence surely is sales training is where it's all about. Well, Brian Tracy, what can I say? Thank you very much indeed for appearing on The Achievers Edge, sharing so many great ideas. I do hope, Brian, there'll be an opportunity in the future for us to get you back again and have even more of these lovely ideas. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Thank you very much, Peter. If you've enjoyed our session today, why not head over to our website where we have loads of resources on product creation, on sales, on marketing, and of course, on personal success. That's at theaccelerators.club.com. I'll see you there.